Well, good morning, everyone. What a pleasure to worship the Lord. I mean, the, the God who created us, the God who's over all things, he invites us to come to him and to praise him and to um, rejoice in him. And what a privilege it is to do so. And uh, what a blessing to do so with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ that we are united with and who fear his name, who walk in his ways and seek to encourage and edify one another. Um, so thanks for all that you guys do to support and encourage each other and uh, continue praying, continue seeking, continue walking with our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, today we will be having communion at the end of the service, so um, basically once we uh, get to the end, I'll invite people to come forward and just receive of that. It's open to everyone who's a born-again Christian, uh, who's a believer and follower of Jesus, and uh, we'll just receive that together. Uh, yes, looking forward to that. We'll be in Genesis 48, if you want to turn there, and let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for a beautiful day. Thank you for an amazing life that you've given us through Jesus, that we have this abundant life, this opportunity to know God, to have fellowship with you and with one another. And thank you for cleansing us from our sin. Thank you for um, giving us exceedingly great and precious promises, for helping us every step as we look back upon our lives or we see that your hand guided us and protected us and provided for us and we trust that you will do so in the future because you are faithful. Your mercies are new every morning and we, we rejoice to seek you and to proclaim you and to follow Jesus, our Savior and the good shepherd who loves us and gave his life for us. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would comprehend your word, that we'd put it into practice and uh, we'd learn more about you, and not just in our heads, but um, in our lives. We'd, we would put into practice these things, and you'd change the way we think, you'd change the way we live, and make us more like Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our natural inclination is to trust basically anything besides God, right? It's normal for us to lean on our understanding, to trust others rather than look to the Lord. And blessed is the one who learns this confidence in man is misplaced. And uh, our confidence in God, it ought to be greater than in ourselves or others. I like what Proverbs 25, 19 says. It says, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Now, without thinking, those of, those of us or those people who have reliable teeth, I mean, think of how many times you have how many meals you've eaten, how many times you've chewed up your food. You don't think twice to bite an apple or to eat sticky candy. If your teeth are not so robust, you might be a bit cautious to bite into the apple. You're like, I don't even do that anymore. I just cut it. Like, I don't mess with that. Um, and you've taken countless steps with your feet. You expect that your feet are going to get you from here to there. But think about a broken tooth, how that impacts Mm, you don't want to eat anything, or a foot out of joint. You wouldn't try walking on that foot because it really hurts. Solomon's point is we ought to avoid relying on untrustworthy people. When you need them to come through, that broken tooth, it's not going to chew your food well, and that dislocated foot is not going to support your weight. And so instead of relying on unfaithful people, we should 
trust in the Lord. We read that in Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. We can have strong confidence in God because he is faithful. He's kept his word. He's with us. He's providing for us. And so he will do so in the future. And notice that it doesn't say they might have a place of refuge or they could have a place of refuge. No, they will have a place of refuge because he is the Lord. He's able to do this for us. Our teeth fail, our joints fail, but God does not fail. So the next time you have a broken tooth or a, a joint, something disjointed, just go, God's not like that. He's not like something you rely upon and it fails you. You rely upon him, he will save you. He will help you. He will deliver you. And it was faith and reliance upon God that led Jacob to go to Egypt in the first place to be reunited with Joseph. And as he lived there for 17 years, his faith in God did not waver. God had made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. He had been faithful to him, provided for him, guided for him, fed him every day. And Jacob had asked Joseph to swear that he would take his body after his death back to Canaan because that was the land that God had given him and that's where he belonged. He wanted to send that message to future generations like this is your land. Egypt is not your land. Your land is the land of Canaan where God has given that to us. Now he made Joseph swear. He said, swear to me, you'll take my body to Canaan, to our family burial ground. But when Jacob spoke to God, he didn't ask God to swear because when God says something, it means he's going to do it. We can have strong confidence. And if you are someone who has strong confidence in God, that leads to a life free of worry and anxiety and despair. So we can say, oh, I have confidence in God. But if those other things are marking your life, well, then you're not always walking in that confidence, walking in the Lord, abiding in him. It's a good challenge to us all. Genesis 48, starting in verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. After they had had that conversation where Joseph promised to carry his father back to Canaan, he received word his dad was sick. And so upon hearing that news, Joseph took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he went to visit him. And we know that since Jacob had been in, in Egypt for 17 years, his sons were at least that old. Um, and we're introduced to them in Genesis 41, starting in verse 51, chapter 41, 51. Joseph called the name of his, the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. The names of Joseph's sons, they testified of God's faithfulness to him. So Manasseh is like forgetting. He forgot his father's house. And then uh, Ephraim is fruitful. God had made him fruitful in the land of Egypt. And in time... Joseph, though he struggled for quite a while, right? He was sold by his brothers into slavery. He was 11 years a slave in Potiphar's house, two years in prison. And it seemed like there was no way out of this. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. There wasn't like, um, you know, his lawyers weren't consulting with the judge. There was none of that going on. There was like, I'm a slave, I'm powerless, and now I'm incarcerated. 
And then God brought him out and promoted him to second in the kingdom. And through him being promoted, he was married. He had these two sons. And he happily realized, like, you know what? God has caused me to forget all the toil, all that, that work that seemed like it would never be done, that I could never escape. He, he's caused me to forget that. And, and the betrayal of my brothers, that's gone out of my mind, and he's made me fruitful where I am. And that's just glorious. And really something that everyone who places their faith in God can and will ultimately say that God will cause us to forget the toil of these lives. One day it's just going to be out of our mind and he'll make us fruitful, spiritually fruitful now and for the future for his glory. So cool. Now, when Israel heard Joseph was coming to visit him, he summoned his strength. He perked up a bit when he heard his son was visiting. The sickbed would turn out to be a deathbed, but he was excited that his son was going to visit. And none of, none of us in this room are 147 years old, I'm suspecting, but we've all been sick. Like, I can't identify with being 147. I'm like, oh, hmm, that's... I've never been there yet. I haven't crossed that threshold. But I have been sick. I have been ill. And uh, when we feel depressed, when we are physically sick or troubled, we can be strengthened knowing Jesus is coming for us. Knowing that he's coming for us. Not just sometime, like in the rapture or in the, the judgment of this world, but he's coming for us. He's coming to be with us even now as we gather in his name that the Lord is in our midst. He's, it strengthens us to know. So in this one, he's strengthening himself, but we are strengthened in the Lord. It's his strength that, that's like, you know what? The Lord is in control. The Lord has power to save. The Lord will cause me to be fruitful in this place where he's put me. And that the current struggles and pain that we're going through, it cannot be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And we don't have to wait for some future event for this toil to be long out of our minds because of the rest that we have in Jesus right now. We have the Holy Spirit taking up residence in our hearts. And even if you can't physically lift yourself out of a bed or stand on your feet, we can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might because of the Holy Spirit who renews us within day by day. And friends, we don't have to navigate difficult seasons alone. He heard he was sick. He went to go see his dad. And we can be the one who calls or who reaches out to those in need. Genesis 48, verse 3. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Jacob begins by telling Joseph how the almighty God, El Shaddai, had appeared to him, had blessed him, made promises to him, and he promised to make his descendants fruitful, to give them land in Canaan as a permanent possession. 
And this is the same name that God referred to him, that revealed himself to uh, in Abraham in his day in Genesis 17.1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. So he's like, I am El Shaddai. I am the almighty God. So walk before me and be blameless. And then what happens next is quite surprising because Jacob adopts Manasseh and Ephraim as his own. He's like, like my firstborn, uh, Simeon, uh, Reuben and Simeon, they're mine. I'm, I'm claiming them. Now, adoption today, it's usually a lengthy, expensive, difficult process. There's great care taken to ensure that the household and the parents who are going to be raising this child are fit and caring, that they'll provide a, a loving, stable home, a homeless couple, someone who is in palliative care, an incarcerated person. They would not be considered good parent options in New South Wales for adoption. Adoption in New South Wales, I read on the site, it's for the best interest and the service of the child, not the right of the adult to adopt. So the rights are really the kids' rights, and they want to provide the best possible environment for the kids. And it's wise, of course, before adopting that we, or, or having children, that we commit to providing for their needs. You think of Jacob, he's sick, he's nearing the end of his life. It might be seen as irresponsible or unnecessary to adopt Manasseh and Ephraim because they were adults and their dad was still alive. I mean, he's standing there with them. But the welcoming of Manasseh and Ephraim into the line of Israel was not because he would live to be a father to them or provide for them, but because the almighty God would. The almighty God was going to provide for their needs, provide them this inheritance and rather than being a tribe of Joseph, have you ever thought about that? The 12 tribes of Israel? You don't read of Joseph, but you read of Manasseh and Ephraim. So he's brought them into his inheritance, and he gave Joseph a double portion by having his two sons in his line. And so these lads, they weren't to seek an inheritance in Egypt. They weren't to go after the gods of Egypt. They were to go after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were, their inheritance lay in Canaan. And so he tells them of this. He says, you, you're mine. You're mine because my God is your God, the almighty God. And Jacob knew, and this is, this is really a bold declaration of faith, that after he dies, God's going to provide an inheritance for them. He would multiply them. And you know, we can have that same confidence in God that he is good as he's provided for us, he will provide for our children. As many as he calls after us, he will be their father. He will supply their needs. He will bring forgiveness of sin. He will bring eternal life to them. By faith in Jesus, he is our inheritance. He's purchased us as his everlasting possession. So after adopting Manasseh and Ephraim, Jacob then relates how he buried Rachel their grandmother in the land of Canaan on the way to Ephrath, also known as Bethlehem. They had a Hebrew father. They had an Egyptian mother. But they had been called to and offered an inheritance in Canaan with the Almighty God. And it was their choice, really, if they would choose to submit to the God of their fathers or pursue the idols of Egypt. 
because Joseph couldn't choose that for them. It was the father's choice, right? Israel chose them and they could choose. Well, yes, my inheritance is somewhere else other than here. And we see in this adoption, such a beautiful picture of God receiving the, even the Gentiles into the family of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that we have been adopted into the kingdom, that we have been given an inheritance beyond this world, beyond wealth, beyond a house or a car. We have a heavenly inheritance that he has offered us, and he offers it to all who come to him by faith. As followers of Jesus, we're called to lead and instruct our children in the ways of the Almighty God. And say, you know, the inheritance isn't around here. The inheritance is in heaven. Our inheritance is Christ, and he is the one we value. Think about all the things that Manasseh and Ephraim were exposed to. And the way to prevent deception is to be filled with the truth. It's kind of like, when you, have you ever had the sensation where you're eating a really good meal at a restaurant and the waiter or waitress comes by and says like dessert and you're like, oh no, I have had enough. Now, now maybe there's someone here who has never refused dessert ever. Like I can always make room for that. You know, shake your leg, make some extra room and you're back into it. But no, like once you're full of the truth, and you're familiar with it, and that is what tastes good to you spiritually, you are not tempted. There's, there's like no room for the other, the lies and the deception. And so being familiar with the truth, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a great preventative and really the great, he is the one who makes us fruitful. Having received what's good, then the other things, the idols, you're like, what are those compared to the almighty God? I already have the almighty God. What good news could they possibly give me when I have an inheritance that he has provided me? You could give me all Egypt. It's not good enough because I have the Lord. He has me. In contrast to that, to the hungry soul, everything that is bitter seems sweet. That's another proverb. If you're hungry and you're not feeding on God's faithfulness, even the bitter things, the sinful things, you'll be like, oh, that's pretty good. But that's how God changes us. He changes our tastes. He changes our perspective. Genesis 48, verse 8. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. Because of old age, it says Israel's vision was dim. He could see enough to know that, or hear enough, that uh, Joseph had brought some people along. And his statement, like, who are these? It reminds me of, of like when you're playing with kids. And you're saying, what have we here? Like you play with, you, you pretend like you don't see the child that's right in front of you. You're like, where is he? You know that he's right under the bed. Like, what, what, where, where could he have gone? Who are you? You know, they're wearing like a, a Superman outfit or something. And you pretend like you don't recognize them because they have a mask on. And so he's like, he, he's 147 years old. He's had a bunch of kids, a bunch of grandkids. And he is a good natured fellow who likes to, to play around. He's like, who are these? Who have you brought me today? Who's here? Well, 
These are my sons. Joseph's a pretty serious guy. Gifts from God he has received in Egypt. And he says, bring them close to me so I can bless them. Previously, Abraham had blessed Isaac. Isaac had blessed Jacob. Remember, Jacob had pretended to be Esau to receive that blessing. And now Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be blessed by Israel. So this is very special. This is like reserved for the firstborn. And he is going to bless Joseph's sons. They came near to Jacob. It says he kissed and hugged them. And he's like, you know, I, I thought one day you were gone. I would never see you again. But now I've seen your kids. Just reflecting upon what God has done. How, how God did exceedingly beyond what Jacob could have ever asked or thought for. He had written off Joseph for dead. He had planned on, I'm going to go to my grave mourning my son, whom I'll never see again. For decades he was like that. And now he's like, this is awesome. I get to hug and kiss your kids. I get to bless your children. I didn't even think you were alive, but now here they are your sons. It was truly remarkable what God had done. And even though his eyes were dim, Israel saw what God did and he praised him for it. Turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. We rely a lot upon our eyes, but God gives us perspective through the Holy Spirit that transcends human vision. And he also enables us to look back upon our lives and see how he has been faithful and how he has helped us when we were helpless. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It says, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. When God appeared to his people on Sinai in thunder and lightning and smoke and the trumpet was blaring, The people saw all that, but they had no idea what God was preparing for them. They were so preoccupied with the the food on the journey, like, oh, this manna, we're so tired of it. And then when they got to the the promised land, they're like, oh, the giants and and these these strongholds, we're we're like grasshoppers compared to them. And they, they lost sight of God's grandeur and his glory and how wonderful he was and the promises he had made to them. And they failed to comprehend the victory he would give them by simply walking around the city of Jericho seven days in a row. And that the walls would fall down flat and give them the victory. They they never comprehended that would be possible after they crossed the Jordan on dry ground. They couldn't have expected this. right? They had no idea that's how God was going to shake things out. And like the Hebrews, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, we cannot fathom the things God has prepared for us. Yet God has revealed them by the Holy Spirit. By faith in Jesus, we have freely received the Spirit of God. We we can know we have eternal life by faith in Christ. And we can know that we're forgiven 
and that we're free from the power and penalty of sin. These are things that we thought had, us, had a grip on us that we could never break and that we would never change. It was impossible for us, and yet God has done that. And how the Holy Spirit makes us fruitful. It says here that we have received the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So we can know what he's provided, that he's given us his love, he's given us forgiveness, that he's given us spiritual gifts to reveal his glory and to edify the church, and that we can open the Bible and understand what it's saying to us, that God is speaking, to hear his voice. Some of you, looking back on your life, would never have dreamed of going to church or reading a Bible finding preaching enlightening or prayer exciting, yet here you are. God has done marvelous things to bring us together. And God's good plans and purposes are for all eternity, not just today, but they extend forever because he is faithful. And by the spirit of Christ, we experience them. So it's like God's revealing things to us and he has more to show us. Like of everything you've known of God, there is more than that to know and to experience of his goodness. It's like we're just splashing on the edges of the ocean of his grace and love and he bids us come deeper, come to me, trust me for everything. Genesis 48, 12. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long till this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So Joseph and his sons, they're kneeling before Jacob. Their faces are on the ground, showing respect. Then Joseph takes his son by the hand. So if you can imagine, Jacob's here, and then Joseph and so Ephraim on this side, Manasseh on that side, and he takes their hands and he's bringing them. So it's almost like they're holding hands in a circle. Joseph in the middle you have Manasseh on this side, Ephraim on that side, and then uh, so Jacob's like this on the bed. But then Jacob does something very unexpected. He goes like this, and he crosses his arms. So his right hand is on the head of Ephraim, the younger, and his left hand is on Manasseh, the older. He knew exactly what he was doing. Then you see Israel blessing Joseph. He blessed his sons by God the Father, the God who fed Israel all my life. And he calls him, this is the first time we see it in the Bible, Goel, or kinsman redeemer. He's like, he is my redeemer. He has purchased me. He's redeemed me out of all evil. Brought him out of, out of all evil. And he said, let my name be named upon them and the name of my father, Abraham and Isaac. Now, Abraham, that name means father. They're very ironic, every one of these names. 
Because Abraham, he's 99 years old, and he still hadn't had a son with Sarah, who was barren. And it seemed like he would never be a father with Sarah. Yet God miraculously caused her to conceive, and they had Isaac. Right? And, and his name, Isaac, came from when the, the Lord came and visited them and said, you will have a son about this time next year. And she laughed. She thought, yeah, right. He's like, did you laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. Why did you laugh? You did laugh. So it means laughter. So father, laughter, and then Israel. His name, he had been named for catching his brother's heel, heel catcher or supplanter. But God had given him a new name. And throughout this section, he's called Israel almost every time, which means the one who prevails with God. So you have father. He's like, make Ephraim and Manasseh a father of nations. Give them joy to rejoice in the Lord and help them to prevail with God. So he's like, put all of our names upon them to mark them. That's how they should live. So Israel brings the sons of Joseph born in Egypt into that covenant that God had made with them. Verse 17. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. It's a bit ironic Jacob is giving this wonderful blessing over the sons of Joseph. But Joseph sees that he did this arm crossing thing that he hadn't expected. And he had intentionally, very intentionally put Manasseh on the right hand and Ephraim on the left hand because Manasseh was the older one. He wanted him to have the right hand blessing. It says he was displeased. That means the word is strong displeasure. A couple other times where we see this word used is like when Jonah was angry, God had not destroyed the Ninevites. He was displeased. Uh, God was displeased when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed Uriah the Hittite. God was also displeased by Onan, who he slew because he refused to raise up a seed for his brother. So it's a very strong word. And it's almost like the blessing was kind of missed because he's like a bit distracted by which head his hands were on. And he kind of loses himself in the moment and he grabs his dad's hand as he's blessing him. He's like, no, no, put this hand on this head. And Israel's like, I know, I know, son. I know who's older. I, I may be blind, but I know what I'm doing. I'm the one with a blessing. Really a blessing from the Lord. The Lord is the one of blessing. Not so, my father, as if his father had done wrong. And I think many Christians, I myself can identify with Joseph here. We're, we're pleased to receive blessing from the father, yet we can try to control him. Like, oh, that's good, but do it this way. Or this is how it should happen or when it should happen. And we can be displeased that he's chosen to do something or not to do something or he's allowed something. And we see it as a big mistake. And so we try to take charge of the situation. We're kind of like Peter. He's like, not so, Lord. 
which is like, if he's your Lord, why are you saying no to him? <laughs> is that your role as a servant, as a slave, a bond slave that we would say no? It's kind of like Peter. He has this vision of that sheet, right? Um, he has this vision where there's a sheet lowered. He's hungry. It's about lunchtime. And there's all these non-kosher animals that are being dropped down in the sheep. Things that we would eat and go like, that's good stuff. But he was being a Jew, following the dietary restrictions. He's like, I don't eat anything unclean. And God said, do not, or the voice said, what, I, what God has cleansed you shall not call unclean. And this happened three times. And that prepared Peter for when Gentiles knocked at the door, that he received them and he went to Cornelius. He wouldn't have done that unless God had prepared him. And so then he's speaking to Cornelius and his household that had gathered of the gospel. And while he's speaking, it says the Holy Spirit came upon them and they all spoke with tongues as the Jews did on the day of Pentecost. And the Jews who went there were shocked. They had thought that the Holy Spirit and salvation was for the Jews only. And they're like, wow. God has poured out the spirit on the Gentiles as well. Can anyone forbid water? These people need to be baptized. They're, they're of the Lord. They're in Christ like we are. This created no small stir when the Jews in Jerusalem heard about this. And Peter gets brought into the principal's office. And they're saying, you went to eat with Gentiles. You went to their house. And he's like, guys, listen, this is what happened. He told them about the vision. He told them about what God had said and what God had done. And they stood corrected. They're like, wow. So God has given the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles too. This exceeded their expectation. They could not believe that that was possible. I mean, they wouldn't have believed it was possible for them, but having received it, they're like, yeah, we, got, we have the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about it. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit is speaking through them. And, and so... We shouldn't be saying, not so, Lord, but amen. God doesn't make mistakes. He sees and knows what he's doing. And in Joseph's eyes, Manasseh should have received blessing from the right hand, but guided by the God of grace, Israel didn't choose one son based upon his age or his merit or the man he would grow up to be. It had nothing to do with that. It was because God directed him to. God sees all of our days like a hand breadth. And we see that God put Isaac before Ishmael. He put Jacob before Esau. He put Joseph before all his brothers. And now Ephraim before Manasseh. And should Joseph be displeased because God was pleased to bless the younger? Ought we to be displeased when God has chosen to bless those we do not see as worthy or as worthy as us? Or we have perhaps missed out on something that, or we feel like we're missing out on something we should have that God has not seen fit to give us at this time. So when we're displeased of what's happened or what has not happened for us, it can expose our proud hearts, our presumptuous nature that are, is really unwilling to accept God's sovereignty and his goodness to all people. God is worthy to bestow all blessing as it pleases him. And let's rejoice in, what, in who he is and what he has done for each one of us. 
Israel is undeterred. Verse 20. So he blessed them that day saying, by Israel, by you, Israel will bless saying, may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Israel blesses the sons of Joseph in faith. He gives Joseph an extra portion. And if there's any doubt that Israel was moved by faith, we see it in Hebrews 11:21. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Now we don't read about the staff in the Genesis account, but as he's strengthening himself to sit up on the bed, he was taking his staff and lifting himself. And he's leaning on this staff as he is blessing, blessing the boys of Joseph. It's the picture of the old shepherd Israel, right? A shepherd for years, leaning on the Lord in faith, the one who had shepherded him all of his life, the one who would bring his descendants out of Egypt and into Canaan as he promised. And he has this confidence in God and he says, by you, Ephraim and Manasseh, Israel will bless. So God would make these boys the poster boys of his blessing. Like they would be the ones to look to. Like you want to see someone who's blessed by God? Look at Manasseh, look at Ephraim. They are blessed by God and that's what blessing looks like. And he's saying this as he's about to leave this earth in death. He's about to leave, but he's like, God's going to do it. May you be blessed and everyone say, wow, that's what blessing is. I am dying, but God will be with you. Not might be with you. Could help you, should help you. No, will. He will help you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. He has this strong confidence in God to do everything that he's promised. And blessed is the one who believes the almighty God will do as he promised. And if he is almighty, since he is almighty, let us ascribe such strength to him. Let us believe that and walk in light of that, that he is strong, almighty. And we, see, we don't have to look very hard through the scriptures to find that God's worthy of such praise. Psalm 91, one and two, it says, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. It's not God could be your refuge. No, he is. He is my refuge. He is and will always be our refuge and fortress. And this confidence we see in Jesus himself as he spoke to his disciples in John 14, verse one through three, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus had told his disciples he was going away. His disciples were troubled but Jesus, he's at peace, he's at rest, knowing that night he's going to be betrayed and the next day he's going to be crucified. But he's, he has such confidence, 
He has such rest in the Lord. And he's saying, I'm going to, he knows what he's doing. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He's just telling them what will happen. When Jesus died on the cross and was buried in a tomb, it seemed like he failed to deliver on his promises. Where they're like, how is he going to come to us? How is he going to receive us to himself? We have to go to him now because his body is in a tomb. But then Jesus reversed that when he rose from the dead. And they, he did something they did not expect, right? Exceedingly abundantly beyond what they could ask or think that Jesus would die for their sins, that he would provide redemption and salvation, that he would come again. And he says, I told you I was going to go before you into Galilee. Meet me there. So they went to Galilee and met him. As he just appears in the midst, peace to you when they've locked the doors. You know, if you know someone's coming, you, you unlock the door. If my son's out and he's like, I'll, I'll be back late, you know, we're watching a movie or something. I don't usually bother locking the door because be a lot of key rattling and this. But they locked the doors. They didn't expect Jesus to turn up, but he did. Praise the Lord for that. And those words spoken to his disciples where he's saying, I am going to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Those are true for us. We see it's true for them. It's also true in our situation. We can be with him forever. So God, he's been faithful in the past. He's presently faithful and will always be. Now, on the first Sunday of the month, we do receive communion together. We focus our gaze on Christ, his sacrifice, his suffering, and how he, he did die for our sins. He paid that price for our forgiveness, for our salvation, to adopt us into the family of God by faith in him. This is the spiritual reality. This is the historical facts that his hands were pierced with nails, his feet as well, that his, a spear was thrust into his side, into his heart, to confirm that he had died. The crown of thorns was pressed upon his head. And we obey him to drink of the cup of blessing. We receive the broken bread that represents his body. And so receiving a communion, it does not absolve us of sin. It does not give us grace. It's a personal and united proclamation that Jesus is our savior who loves us, who has redeemed us. And you know how when you pray over a meal, you say grace over it, or you, you ask the Lord to bless the food and strengthen your bodies. Well, we partake of this not to be blessed, but because we already are. Because Jesus has blessed us. He is blessing for us. And so having received of his spirit, having walked in newness of life, now we partake of these elements that, that show this uh, agreement with him and with one another as we are united as his name. So we remember Jesus, our righteousness, the good shepherd who is with us, who has fed us, who has redeemed us from all evil, who has blessed us, who makes us fruitful. His name is upon us. We eat and drink because we have strong confidence in our gracious God who is our refuge and life. So can I please invite the worship team forward who will lead us in a song. And as we are praising the Lord, please feel free to come up and receive of the cup and the bread and I'll pray together. But it's a good time to, 
to examine our hearts before the Lord, to confess our need for forgiveness, to rejoice, to lay our burdens at his feet. If there are things where we have said, not so, Lord, may that change. May we change it to amen uh, for whatever he's saying, because he is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is the Almighty God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and really the gift of yourself, that we can know God, that we can walk in your ways and do the things that pleases you, that we could be fruitful in this life, uh, that we could be righteous through faith in Jesus. What a wonder. And Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts, you would show us our need for you, and that we would rejoice to, to uh, be the blessing you've called us to be because you are the God of all blessing. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.